Hello. Welcome <laughs> to the next episode of the Brio in the Box podcast. Hi. 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 How's it going? Good. Good. Today we're going to talk about... Getting old. Getting old. <laughs> masters in CrossFit. The masters athlete, the aging CrossFitter, the masters athlete. So when we say masters, mm-hmm. from an actual literal perspective, as far as competitive CrossFit goes, the master starts at age 35 and yeah. up. You can still be very young and considered a master. Thank you for saying that 35 is very young. It is. <laughs> it is young, yes, but uh, clearly they recognize that it's not the same yeah. as being 20 because they put you in a different division. Yeah. Um, you recently completed, CrossFit has an online master course about training master's athletes, which you did recently. I did, yeah. I wanted to dive deep into why... It sucks so bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Just don't kidding. do that. No, it's uh, it it was a it was a course that was brought about because um, in traditional exercise science, they always looked at the aging process as just a slow decline to decrepitude, and so many um, you know older CrossFit athletes are showing that that's not true. You can be in your forties and still hit all-time PRs, and you can get progressively fitter way later than people originally thought. Mm -hmm. And so they sort of brought together this course as a way of, you know, showing the success they've had and then also helping um, trainers, you know, properly program and train uh, older people in different categories. I believe it was put together by Matt Swift, long-term CrossFit seminar staff member out of Australia, I'm pretty sure. Very fit master's athlete. I believe one the 45 to 49 category at the CrossFit Games a couple times. Yeah, I don't you know. Check my facts on that. But very fit guy, very knowledgeable, um, you know, great coach, great seminar staff member long-term, so put together this course. Um, in there, they define or sort of categorize like four different quadrants of types of master's athletes. Yeah, so the first one is, uh, you know, probably the most important is injured versus uninjured. And I don't think it's supposed to be looked upon as like, have you ever had an injury? Because... I feel like very few people make it all the way into, you know, their thirties, forties, fifties with zero injuries. So it's more of like, are you currently dealing with a certain problem or did they have a, you know, like quite substantial, a significant injury in the past that's going to like heavily limit them moving forward. Yeah. Um, But but generally uh, the first step is, are they injured or, or uninjured? And then the next step, is where you see the biggest discrepancy from one group to the other, I think. And that is, um, are they fit or deconditioned? Because we've talked about this a lot. You can be 45 and still be super young and active and quite healthy, or you can be 45 and like not doing well. One foot in the grave kind of thing, already well on your way out. Whereas a 20-year-old, you know, like you can be fairly unfit as a 20-year-old, but chances are you're not dealing with like heart disease and that kind of stuff already. So fit versus deconditioned is, is the next sort of main one. Um, and then there is the like different kind of categories of masters because obviously a 35-year-old master is going to be significantly different than a 65-year-old master. So it is, are you an early or a late stage master? Um, and then the last one is what are, what are your goals, right? Are you in it because you really want to like push the boundaries of your performance? You want to compete at the CrossFit Games or you want to like be a competitive whatever, uh, or are you just in it for like health, fitness, wellness, longevity, that kind of thing? So for the purposes of this discussion today, we're not talking about trying to win the master's division at the CrossFit Games. Right. We're not talking about the highest level of like competitive goals. We're talking about like normal people, 
They yeah. just want to live well. They want to add more life to their years. They want to have good functional capacity, all that kind of stuff. So we're talking about like normal people. Yeah. Goals would be like longevity, wellness, quality of life, yeah. that kind of stuff. And I think you can have a certain level of like, you know, seeing how fit you can get and stuff. You're just less concerned with comparing it to other people and more concerned with just like what what are you doing now that you couldn't do five years from now or, mm-hmm. or five years from the past or whatever? I think regardless of age, there's a, there's a line that you cross over when you go, when you change your goals from being a competitive CrossFit athlete to whatever we want to call that, a recreational yeah. CrossFit athlete. The recreational athlete is still trying to get better, totally. trying to improve, you know, body composition and performance and all that kind of stuff. But the, the decisions that you make change when your goal is to become a competitive CrossFit athlete, right. you take more risks, you understand, you acknowledge that you're taking on more risks in the pursuit of, of higher level performance. There are going to be some, <laughs> you know, uh, payoffs to that. And there's going to be some consequences sure. to that. So for this discussion, we're talking about normal people in pursuit people. of elite fitness for your own personal quality of life. Right. So what changes as you get older? There's a, a few things that change and that have to, you know, dictate changes in the way you train. I would say the first one is how much you can get out of your training or how often you can train versus the recovery. So when you're like 20, you can train like a savage. You can train twice a day and you can train heavy and lots of volume and you can eat pizza on the weekends and drink beer and still perform well. And, you know, you can like not sleep normal and all that kind of stuff. And you can still make good progress in your fitness. Yeah. Um, as you get older, you just can't, I think we all acknowledge, you just can't do that anymore. And you think, can't train as often as much. Yeah. And so therefore you need to focus more on the recovery. Yeah. You need to get more out of the training that you can do. And you do that by, you kind of have to shift your focus from the volume of training to how much you, how well you recover yeah. and what goes into recovery, sleep, nutrition to a much lesser extent. Some of the other add-ons like sauna and cold plunge and uh, you know, massage and physio and all those kinds of like self-care things, but you're going to have to focus way more on your sleep and nutrition yep. and just acknowledge that you can't train like a twice a day savage. Sure. <laughs> like you could yeah. train I think it's important for everybody to understand that the exercise itself is what we call catabolic, right? You're breaking your body down. You're causing damage to your body and you don't get fitter because of that. You get fitter because of the recovery process. So when your recovery takes longer, you just can't train as often or mm-hmm. you can't train as hard or you can't do as much as you used to. You need to put the time into like recover so that you do get stronger. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just chronically beat down and, you know, you're doing more harm than good. Yeah. And I've heard it phrased that there's no such thing as o- overtraining, only under recovery. Right. At any age. Yeah. But like you said, as you get older, that recovery process takes longer. So the interval that you need between training sessions is just a little bit longer. And then to get more out of those sessions, you're going to have to focus more on the other variables, better sleep, better nutrition. I was just commenting the other day to someone 14 years of coaching CrossFit. I've never met an athlete that can out train a bad diet. Yeah, Like (laughs) we're sort of talking about this, even with younger people, if you're on that, like pizza and beer kind of diet, but still training a whole bunch you're not performing optimally. Yeah. No athlete is saying that's the best athlete diet. You're just, because you train and are staying fitter, you're sort of uh, pushing the damage a little further out into the future, but it's still coming. You're just sort of slowing down, you know, 
when the weight gain happens, when the insulin resistance starts to catch up to you, like you just maybe push it a little further into the future, as opposed to a 20 year old that just eats pizza and drinks beer and doesn't exercise. Yeah. They'll get sicker much quicker, much earlier in life. Right. Um, but <laughs> it does catch up with you eventually yeah. at some age, it starts to catch up with you and you're gonna have to eat better. Yeah. I remember when we first started doing CrossFit, I could train a lot. Like we would do like multiple heavy lifts in a day and then do a wad and then do some accessory. And we play around with people for like for hours, you know, yeah. it was just tons and tons of stuff. And we would eat a lot worse than we did now. And mm-hmm. Our sleep schedule was all over the map, but it's like the further I get into my forties, the more I have to just tidy those things up. So mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, the big couple of things has been my sleep has improved greatly. I went from being a, a person who would wake up to every single sound. And you know, if you would move in the bed, I would wake up and it was hard for me to fall back asleep. And it was when we got our bed coolie thing. And I don't even think it's the bed cooling that's made the difference. It's the, the background noise, that like white noise from the fan of the bed coolie thing. Mm-hmm. And now I like, I just sleep so much better, you know, like Dash will wake up and come into our room and I won't even hear him. And then I'll wake up in the morning. He's next to me. I'm like, when where did he, he come from? <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely, yeah, there's something about the white noise that for whatever reason changed. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is funny because the yeah. first night we had that thing. <laughs> You were like, this is so loud. Like, I don't think I can sleep with this. And then like two nights later, now you're like, I can never sleep without this thing. Even when we go uh, on holidays and we're in hotel rooms, you have a white noise app on your phone now that you'll put on, which actually hot tip. That's a great thing to do in a hotel when there's just other noises and people banging around in the hallways and cars outside and stuff. The white noise really helps you just like drown out all that other stuff. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I think at one point you talked about how that's part of our like survival mechanism, right? If you're sleeping in an unfamiliar place, your body is way less likely to go into like a super deep level of sleep just to be aware of like potential dangers in this new mm-hmm. new area, right? So yeah. there's something about that white noise that just whatever, you know, for whatever reason, it just like takes out all the hotel noises and you just, I Comps crash right out. Yeah. yeah. Other, we're, at some point we're going to do a whole episode on sleep, but just like the yeah. quick rundown of like good sleep hygiene tips a fully darkened room, yeah. blackout curtains, every little light on every electronic in your bedroom, you need to cover it up, put a towel over it, put a piece of electrical tape, every little blue or red light on everything. Um, cool temperature. So whether it's just the ambient temperature of the room or like there's all these bed cooling pads. So the one we have is, I believe the brand is the perfect sleep pad. Comes with a little cube that sits on the floor beside and it circulates cool water through like a it's a mattress pad that goes over your mattress and you set the temperature it can heat or cool yeah and so it just circulates cold water underneath you um to initiate deep sleep so your most restorative um recuperative time of sleep your body temperature has to drop so anything that helps you stay cooler at night yeah helps you um a few people have said those bed cooling pads are super helpful when the like menopause hot flashes start to become a thing. Since we're talking about (laughs) the aging athlete, um, they can be super helpful for that too. Yeah. Um, not eating close to bedtime, trying to stop eating at least two hours, ideally four hours helps you, um, again, lower your body temperature because the activity of digestion is like quite active and raises your body temperature a bit. And then just helps you, you know, not be directing energy into the digestive process and just like relax and drift off to sleep. Right. Um, so yeah, as, as you age as well, the next sort of major thing that changes is the risk versus reward of different movements. I believe one of the things they covered 
in the master's course is just talking about like at some point as you age, should you tweak your shoulder? Maybe you get a little rotator cuff or a little slap tear. There may be a point where your body will just never repair that injury where it'll go, you know what? Nope. We don't have resources to allocate to this. That's just how it is now. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating thing that as your hormone levels drop, your ability to repair, it just lowers yeah and eventually you get to the point where it's just your body's like nope not important enough we're going to focus on keeping the heart going we're not gonna worry about that shoulder injury so often a young person will tweak a shoulder and like two days later they're back up on the range doing muscle ups like no big deal (laughs) whereas you know you get out of bed wrong as you're you're old and you're you're out for two weeks because your back is sore so if you're you know looking at working on some of those um higher level skills like snatches and muscle ups and handstand walking and things you do have to just train smarter, yeah. acknowledging that should you injure yourself doing one of those things, your recovery is going to be substantially worse yeah. than when you were younger. Maybe all the way down to zero. It yeah. may never get better if you injure something in that way. So then you just have to be smarter. Should you want to pursue those more advanced skills, you're just going to have to take a much slower, more cautious approach. You're going to have to build the base of strength. You're going to have to make sure you have the flexibility in those joints. Yeah. You're gonna have to take the time to recover. You can't just like train too much volume by like practicing muscle ups every day. Yeah. Um, so you just have to, you just have to train smarter. And you kind of have to think about it. Like, is this a new skill that I've never done before? Or is this something that I've, I was once able to do in my youth and it's just been a long time, right? Like Mm -hmm. a former gymnast is going to have a much easier time learning how to do a handstand again in their, you know, fifties or sixties than somebody that's never done something like that Mm -hmm. before. It's just like riding a bike. Just like riding a bike. If you learned it as a kid, it's easy. But if you learn it as a, like, you know, older person, it's way harder to learn how to ride a bike. So what that is, is neuroplasticity is the ability, you know, to create new neural pathways in your brain. So things like coordination, accuracy, agility, and balance, those skills are neurological in their adaptation. And your, your ability of your brain to do that as you get older sharply declines. There's like this sweet spot window of neuroplasticity when you're young. You're so much more primed to learn new languages, Mm -hmm. to learn new high skill movement patterns. That's why we put our kids in sports. That's why we teach kids to ride a bike, not (laughs) adults, right? And so, like you said, there's a definite, there's like two categories when we're talking about master's athletes in terms of, are you learning these high skill movements for the first time? Or are you continuing to do them that you've always been able to do them, you know? if you learn them early enough and then just sort of, it's like a sucky reality that if you didn't learn these things in the first half of your life, the chances of you acquiring them later in life is, is just much, it's just much harder to do. Yeah. So things like double unders. Yeah. The reality is if an athlete is coming to CrossFit past the age of 40 or 45 or whatever sort of midlife, our experience is it's just much harder for those people for the for that coordination movement to click. It's just yep. much harder. Yep. And not to say it doesn't happen. Yeah, for sure. It just takes a lot longer. And I, I think that often what will happen if somebody learns a movement like a clean or a snatch or whatever later in life, they can do it, but they probably can't do it as well as somebody that learned it a lot younger. Mm-hmm. So they might be kind of forcing some positions or they're not quite where they need to be. And so there's like more risk on a wrist because their front rack position just isn't as good as like a young limber 16 year old who's learning how to do that movement. So Mm -hmm. even if you are learning these movements, if you're overdoing it with kind of risky form, you're again, you're just opening yourself up to a higher chance of injury. That's that's the risk versus reward and the training smarter. 
don't push a heavy weight. Don't push a one rep max if your technique is not good. Yeah. And guess what? That's the same advice, whether I'm training a seven-year-old or a 27-year-old or a 57-year-old. You know, sure. like, but the risk of doing that, of trying to push a heavy weight with poor technique is just much higher yeah. as you get older. Yeah. You just won't be able to bounce back from those things. So there's kind of two things we're talking about there. There's that um, kind of closed window of neuroplasticity to learn high coordination movements. And then there's the sort of flexibility and positional restrictions that tend to afflict the older athlete, especially if they haven't worked on it, you know, worked on their flexibility through dance or yoga or martial arts or mm -hmm. um, gymnastics or any of those kinds of things where you just can't be in a good position yeah. initially. And then you have a lot of work to do on your mobility to open up good positions. And yeah. so, like you said, if you're catching a clean, but your elbows are always down, I guarantee you, you're going to give yourself like a joint injury in your thumb or your wrist. It, it's just, yeah. that's the position, <laughs> you know, that's what's going to happen. And if you're, you know, catching your cleans and leaning back or your shoulders are so tight. So you're arching your back to get a bar overhead. It's like yeah. that, that's a higher risk of giving yourself a back injury. Yeah. Right. Just and it's funny because we'll have some of our like masters level athletes be like, what do I need to do? Like work on my positioning. It's like, well, you need to like loosen up. You need to stretch and stretching sucks. Nobody <laughs> likes stretching. It's not sexy. It's not fun. It's just like long and slow and painful and boring. I shouldn't and, say that if you're good at it, I think, I think people that are good at stretching, like to show off how good they are <laughs> stretching, they're like, look at me, I can put my leg behind my head. But is Whereas, that not anybody that's good well, at anything? Sure. Like, yeah. you know, if you're, whatever skill you're good at, you're like, yes, this is my thing, you know? <laughs> I think that's. Whereas if somebody that's really bad at it, there's like, it's hard to PR uh, a stretch, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to like notice the the subtle differences that are happening over time. Yeah. And it takes so long and you have to do it so consistently, you know, it's just, it's a difficult thing to do. But often that's the only answer. You know? Yeah. That's the only answer is you need to like improve your ability to move. Yeah. And it's a, it takes a lot of patience. Yeah. Which hopefully by the time we've reached middle age or beyond, we have acquired some patience. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And some free time, hopefully. <laughs> Maybe. Too. I th Okay. I was going to mention this earlier when we were talking about like the recovery aspect and training a whole bunch in that our last episode, we talked about stress and usually by your like mid adulthood you've added more other stresses to your life. It would mm -hmm. be cool if we could just like, you know, when you're 20 and you have no kids and maybe you're just in school and no job or like not a lot of things on your plate and you can just train. Yeah. By the time you get to middle age, now you have jobs and kids and so many demands on your time. And maybe, you know, you don't have the time to cook well. Maybe you don't have the time to sleep nine hours every night that mm -hmm. you also have to consider from a stress perspective, training is one type of stress, but so are all these other things. And there's only so much your body can take on at a time. Right. So your goals with your fitness may need to be adjusted based on what you're choosing to give your time to, whether it's like coaching your kids basketball team or other things that you're like, I'm, I'm giving my time to this because it's also important and just being realistic and that it's going to take away yeah. from something else in your life. For sure. So when you're, when we're looking at a week, like for me, when I look at a week's worth of training, I know I can't like hammer five or six days rx like hardcore beast mode option type stuff i have to basically pick you know maybe two or three tops things where i'm like okay i'm gonna like try hard on these ones and then maybe on this day where it's like this is you know too heavy for me anyways i'm just gonna focus on moving super well and i'm just gonna treat this one as like more of an active recovery day like you have to be more strategic in how you attack your week how you attack mm -hmm. your training because of all that yeah that's part of the training smarter thing yeah. i would say yeah um the young kids can probably come in and hammer on themselves five all day, every day yeah. and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. But us older people, um, you know, you can, and 
generally like the way we try to do it is like pick a little bit of what you want and a little bit of what you need, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to look at the week and be like, oh, I really like Tuesday's workout. I'm going to go hard on that one. It's like, yeah, like you can treat yourself to that fun workout once in a while. But if you know that Thursday's workout is one that you should be working on, like maybe that's the one you need to attack and, mm-hmm. and make it like one of your big workouts for the week or whatever. Yeah. I try to do like two full send. Yeah. And usually something like a, you know, it's going to be like echo bike or burpees or thrusters or like kind of low skill, but just really try to get uncomfortable from a conditioning perspective. I try to lift super heavy. I'm kind of gotten back on the bandwagon of lifting heavy. I had a little hiatus for a few years. Yeah. Try to push some heavy weights a couple days a week for sure. Some heavy squats and usually a heavy Olympic lift somewhere in there. And then depending on what that full send day was, that's probably one of my like treat myself things. I like thrusters and burpees and you know, so crazy. (laughs) I'm small, close (laughs) to the ground. That's why I like those things. And then, um, so I have like a treat myself kind of day where I get to feel good about the things I'm good at. And then, uh, like a sucky day doing my time of like, ugh, whatever things I hate, wall balls, ring dips, like do my time, do the things I don't like to do. Um, tough it out but then like there's the balance because we're not talking i'm not trying to go to the crossfit games i just do crossfit because i like it yeah you know and i i like how i feel when i do it and i like the the actual experience of it and all that so Mm -hmm. um yeah it it should be enjoyable it should be majority fun so the the doing my time workout is maybe one of them in the week yeah and we'll talk about this more when we do an upcoming podcast on programming but often people will be like okay i need to take it easy today and it's super heavy clean and jerks or something and so they go lightweight but then they go like super fast and do way too much volume and it's like well you're not actually working on getting better at cleans you're just going really fast and kind of missing the stimulus of the workout so it's like if you're like okay i'm going to take it easy on these cleans and it's supposed to be five reps at 205 and you're using 135 you still act like it's 205 you still Mm -hmm. move at a pace where you're like okay i'm gonna just really focus on super efficient lifting and like you know dialing in my positioning and trying to like improve my quality of movement, even though my, my weight or my intensity is going to be a little bit lower today. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's a potential pitfall of scaling. I fully support scaling. For sure. I believe it's Pat Sherwood has a shirt. So scaling is cool. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I scale a workout once or twice a week for sure. Um, but then the pitfall of that, I like what you're saying is if you scale and you make it lighter, but then you end up doing twice as much volume. Yeah that wasn't an easy day. That was a super high volume day. And if anything, I think we've all kind of can understand now, what are the days that make you the most sore? Mm-hmm. It's like Cindy, it's like air squats, yeah. body weight movements. The lightest high rep things are actually the toughest on your body versus people always think in the beginning that it's going to be like the heavy back squat days. Like, Oh, I'm going to be so sore from lifting this heavy bar. No, yeah. it's the high volume light days that, that really take it out of you. So yep. scale, absolutely fully support scaling. But if it is supposed to be a day where you're easing up, don't do twice the volume because you scaled back the weight. Ease up by actually easing up. Easing up by actually (laughs) easing up, yeah. So then that actually like kind of nicely bridges us into the next part that we want to talk about. I proposed this question to you on a road trip one time. I don't know what thought bubble I was off in, but I said of the 10 physical skills, so the 10 generally recognized physical skills we talk about in CrossFit all the time, they are cardiorespiratory endurance, strength, stamina, flexibility, speed and power, coordination, accuracy, agility, and balance. Of those 10, which one do you think is the most important in developing for longevity, for quality of life into your later years? And we had a heated debate about this. <laughs> we did not. We had a lovely chat and we enjoyed each my, other's company. <laughs> it was not heated. My, my, 
the first thing that came to my mind was stamina. Mm-hmm. You said stamina yeah. and I said strength. Yeah. And here's my reasoning. So the way I was looking at it was, you know, if I was, you know, going through my day-to-day life as an older person, what is the most common thing I'm probably going to have to do that's like physical, right? Am I going to have to do super heavy lifting? Probably not in my day-to-day life. Am I going to have to do some, you know, lower weight, high volume type stuff? Like, you know, moving a wheelbarrow around while I'm doing gardening or like, you know, taking out the garbage or whatever. It's like laundry up and down the stairs. It's like, like, it's generally that type of stuff that we tend to do in our day-to-day lives, right? Especially mm -hmm. when you're working outside, working with your hands. It's all like nothing super heavy. It's just like a lot of time, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I thought it was stamina. You were looking at it in a slightly different way, more of like from a scientific perspective. Yeah. Like, okay. So I said strength. Yeah. Um, Of the 10 physical skills, if you had limited time, what should you spend most of your time on to to age well and live well, I said strength, um, for a few reasons. So muscle is the organ of longevity right? from a few perspectives. Um, it's your greatest depot of glucose disposal. So it helps you from a metabolic perspective, uh, maintain good metabolic health. So whatever carbohydrate you do choose to incorporate into your diet, your muscle is your best friend for helping you properly deal with that so that it gets pushed out of your bloodstream Glucose in your bloodstream in more than teeny tiny concentrations is extremely damaging um, to all of your cardiovascular system, but particularly the microvasculature. So like your brain, your eyes, your extremities. So people with advanced diabetes end up going blind. They end up with um, dementia, neurological conditions. They end up with uh, neuropathy and then sometimes even amputations. Diabetes is the leading cause of, of both blindness and amputations. Um, so at the worst end of the spectrum... <laughs> The ability to manage your glucose is super important and it's your muscle that does that. Right. From a functional capacity perspective, having the strength, the base of muscle mass strength to do your daily activities, which is, I think we're sort of going to the same place from yeah. two different angles. Um, what are the things that, that land people in a nursing home when you can't get off the toilet by yourself, when yeah. you can't go up and down the stairs by yourself, when you can't cook for yourself or do your own laundry or the basic daily tasks and, and what gives you the ability to do those things is your muscles. Right. Um, and then also from like a bone density perspective, weight bearing exercise is what stimulates you to have stronger bones. Right. So, um, slip and fall accidents are a huge factor for like late masters, much older people. I think the, um, Average mortality from the point that someone falls and breaks their hip, they'll die within, on average, less than a year. Because at that point, the quality of life and stuff declines so rapidly when you just can't move around anymore. So you want to build that big bomb-proof skeleton. (laughs) (laughs) Be as tough as you can. And then it's kind of two prongs of that, that if you have better muscle mass, you're less likely to fall down. Right. If you do start to slip, you have the strength to maybe grab onto a handrail or something to keep you from fully wiping out. If you do wipe out, if you're, if you have better bone mineral density, you're less likely to suffer a catastrophic injury. So that's where I was going from the strength perspective, um, metabolic bone mineral, and then just like ability to do daily task perspective. So if you're going to prioritize two things, you know, lifting heavy weights, Mm -hmm. like being strong training. yeah. Yeah. And then doing some sort of stamina type training that allows you to like you know, just carry on work through the day without mm-hmm. eating a break every five minutes and, and just, you know, feel lots good. of general daily activity, lots yeah. of walking, hiking, gardening, 
you know, just sort of doing like household chores and tasks and stuff like, and you could think of the things that you are doing, but then the thing that you're not doing, which is sitting, right. You're trying to avoid sitting as yep. much as possible. And then another one that people might not consider super important that we, we put way up high on the wrist was balance. Yeah. Cause again, from the slip and again, falls, slip and falls. Right. Yeah. And there's a, there's an old man test. I think it's called. Um, the robot capacity guy, his name is Chris Hinshaw. There it is. Yeah. Uh, he came up with this where it's like, can you stand up and put both of your shoes on? So you're not allowed to sit down. You're not allowed to kneel. You have yeah. to be standing. You have to lift one leg up, put your shoe on, tie the laces, put the other foot, put the foot down, you know, do it with the other side. And you have to do this all without falling over. Yeah. And if you can do that as an older person, you're killing it. Yeah. Your balance is great. Yeah. And I think I had flexibility pretty high up on my list too. Like we yeah. were talking about that as people get older, their range of motion at their joints tends to get pretty poor if they haven't For worked sure. on it. Things, you know, like a use it or lose it kind yeah. of thing. Things tighten up if you sit too much. Yeah. Um, and then lacking the flexibility to like squat down. Yeah. Like get on the floor and get back up again. Squat down and put your own shoes on. Like yeah. those kinds of what we w- would hope would consider very basic movements. Uh, but if you start to really lack the flexibility. Yeah. Um, and then also... If you have good flexibility, good range of motion at your joints, just less chance of like a funky shoulder tear because yeah. you just, you have more capacity, you have more range of motion. So I think those are the things that increase your quality of life and lower your risk of, of substantial injury that would decrease your quality of life. So we said strength and stamina and then balance and flexibility. Yeah. What is very low down the list is cardiovascular endurance, Yeah. which, which is, is funny yeah. <laughs> because when people think of exercise and even in the like scientific literature, when people say exercise, they almost always just mean like 60 minutes of moderate intensity cardio, which is like the worst. Yeah. (laughs) Like not only is it barely beneficial, it's potentially detrimental. Yeah. That if you live in that oxidative pathway and Mark Sison's, I, I took his primal health coach course last year they refer to this sort of no man's land of chronic cardio. Mm -hmm. So there's tons of benefits from high intensity activity. We've talked about that numerous times. All of the good stuff that you want out of your fitness comes from intensity. There's tons of benefit from lots of general daily movement, like we just talked about. And then there's this no man's land of chronic cardio. Yeah. Way overtraining the oxidative pathway. Um, Creates all these oxygen free radicals that accelerate the aging process. They age your, um, your bones and your muscles and your tendons and your skin and they, you know, damage your cells and create havoc basically in your body to the point that like endurance athletes, like triathletes are aging their cells at the same rate as a hard drug user. Right. And so when you see some marathon runners crossing the finish line and they look like they just got off a meth bender. Yeah. Like they <laughs> like you could be in East Hastings in Vancouver or you could be at the finish line of the Vancouver marathon and you're like, I can't really tell the difference here. Like these people are, it's not looking good, you know? Um, but there is that, I don't know why it exists that we think of when you say exercise or you say fitness. Yeah. Most people just associate that with like going for a jog. I think people associate like, you know, long, like LSD training as we've called it in the previous ones, <laughs> Which, long, slow distance training. Uh, does not mean not, training high on acid. Not training yeah. high on acid. Um, I think people associate that with like heart and lung health for some reason. Right. But like your organ health comes from your diet. You know, like if you want to yeah. have a healthy heart, you want to like make sure you're eating the right types of food, right? If you want to have like good lungs, you're not going to get that from um, long, slow distance training. You're going to get that from like sprint intervals and like pushing those muscles to like 
you know, Mm -hmm. work really hard and then again, recover afterwards, right? It's not about the exercise. It's about recovering afterwards. Mm -hmm. So if you're running 40 hours a week, when are you recovering from that? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not, you just can't. If you're working and not sleeping well and eating poorly and then running 40 hours a week, like you are breaking your body down. And so there's all the oxidative stress, but then there's all the like joint stress from um, like a repetitive training program like that. You get overuse injuries. Yeah. Something like 85% of runners are injured in any given year when you survey them to the point that the culture of runners, I found they like wear it like a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. Like how many injuries am I training through? Like, oh, I have a torn hamstring and a Achilles and this and that. And you're like, guys, like that's not cool. Like that's not normal. So from like a joint integrity perspective, um, from an oxidative stress perspective, uh, you can, you don't need to worry about a lot of, um, what do we want to call that? No man's land cardiovascular training for sure. Sprinting. Awesome. Lots of low intensity movement. Awesome. Avoiding sitting. Awesome for your cardiovascular system. And then I mentioned it earlier, but sauna actually super great for cardiovascular system. If your concern is like heart health, cardiovascular health, um, there's tons of cool research coming out right now. There's a couple of people. I know Rhonda Patrick is a big advocate of sauna. I think on her website, I believe it's foundmyfitness.com. She has a big resource of like uh, research about sauna. Um, the Finns, the Finland, they're big on sort of the Nordic areas of Europe, big on sauna and uh, huge benefits yep. for that. So you get, you know, when you're in the sauna, your heart rate increases and your blood pressure increases and you get, it's almost like training cardio, but minus all of that oxidative stress and joint damage and all that kind of stuff. So yep. love the sauna, two thumbs up for that. So the naked old guys in the YMCA, are up, they're on to something. <laughs> they're on to something, yeah. Like I believe, what was the last bit of research? It was uh, 30 minutes of sauna, like five days a week. And I think it was um, in a dose dependent manner, whether you did it two days a week or three or four or five, each incremental increase in use of the sauna decreased your risk of cardiovascular negative outcomes by like 20% for each extra sauna session in the week. So again, we're back to like, okay, maybe you can't beat yourself down and train super hard in the gym. So maybe you used to come to the gym seven days a week in your twenties. And now you trade in one or two of those other, that used to be gym days for sauna time, right? Cause like time is a limited commodity. (laughs) You know, not everybody can sit in the sauna for 30 minutes every day or longer. Yeah. Um, But if you trade in a training session or two per week for some sauna time, awesome. Yeah. Super good. Um, some things change in, are going to have to change in your diet. Right. As you get older. This is, this has been a big one for me. Yeah. The last couple of years. Oh, guess what? Jocelyn's talking about nutrition again. <laughs> what? <laughs> we'll keep it dumbed down for you guys. We won't get, we won't get Jocelyn level of, you know, nutrition. You need like a talk. Nerf gun. You can just like, you know. <laughs> pick me off and be like, Hey, too far nerds, wrangle it in. <laughs> There'll be times where she'll be explaining a, a thing she's reading to me and, or she's read and she's saying these words. And I'm like, yeah, well, I understood that one. <laughs> yeah. No, that one's new. What's the movie that where the guy's new? like, I know some of these yeah. words. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So as you get older, as you, as your body ages, things are changing. Yeah. You cannot digest and assimilate protein as well. Mm-hmm. So your dietary requirement for protein goes up. Right. You need to eat more protein in your midlife and beyond, yep. which is the opposite of what most older people tend to do. I'm, I'm talking like sort of outside the CrossFit world where, where we know they're supposed to eat more meat. Um, but lots of older people tend to have like 
what do they have? Like toast and jam with tea yeah. for breakfast and they'll have like a yogurt and what, like there's no protein. Yeah. The RDA for protein, I believe. So the recommended daily allowance is 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is like a paltry level of protein for anybody of any age. Ridiculous. Um, but for older adults, especially that number needs to go up to, I've seen research between 1.5 and 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. We're in kilos. I weigh about 60-ish kilos. So as I get older, somewhere, call it two grams per kilo of body weight, that's at least 120 grams of protein, maybe 150 or higher. Yeah. So you need to be focusing on protein. Yeah. So if, like I used to work in a restaurant industry, yeah. and we would, especially when I worked at this one in the mall, and people, like old an old couple would come in, and they would like split uh, like salmon meal or whatever. So they're each getting like two or three ounces of meat and then, you know, eating the, the sides mm -hmm. like potatoes or rice or whatever. And then splitting a dessert afterwards. It's like, eh, maybe, yeah, maybe eat a steak each of you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, protein, super important, obviously for muscle mass, which we talked about. That was my top pick for longevity. Yeah. Supports, you know, the growth of healthy muscle also for bone density 50% of the dry weight of bone is protein types of collagen. It's the matrix that you mineralize with your calcium and all that other stuff. So you need your protein for your uh, muscles and bones, but also protein is part of your immune system. It's part of your um, like every enzyme and hormone and like so many of your, every cellular process needs all these different amino acids. So for basically every function of your body, yeah. if you want them to keep functioning, you need to have enough protein. Right. When we say protein, uh, I'm sorry if this is controversial. I only mean animal protein. Yeah. Plant source proteins don't count. Yeah. So when you see one of my crimes against nutrition in my nutrition 101 course is tricky marketing claims. And I always use the uh, Kodiak cakes, mm. our cakes uh, as my example. So they say like high protein on the box and you're and like, okay. A picture of a bear. So you know bear. it's good. It must be serious. Yeah. <laughs> hardcore pancakes. And people go, okay, well, I've heard protein is good. This must be good. Protein pancakes. And you flip over the box and the protein is from wheat gluten, concentrated wheat gluten or vital wheat gluten, it'll be called, um, which is just extra super duper concentrated gluten, which yeah. is not the kind of protein you would want, but it comes with, you know, it's plant-based, whatever. Um, gluten is the protein in wheat, one of the proteins in wheat. So they like concentrate it and then add it to this protein pancake mix. Cause then they can say it's true. That's a protein, but that is not what you would want. So we're talking about prioritize red meat, throw in a little bit of liver in there. You know, I would love it if everybody ate a little bit of <laughs> liver every day. Uh, so mostly red meat, wild game. If you're a hunter, you know, venison, uh, bison is awesome. Elk, moose, yep. all that stuff is great. A little bit of seafood. Um, shout out three lakes camp, go fishing, get yourself some great walleye this summer. Yeah. Awesome. Straight out of the lake. Um, you know, salmon, the bivalves, mussels, oysters, you know, crustaceans, shrimp, crab, lobster, all that good seafood stuff comes with lots of great nutrients as well. Uh, throw in a little chicken and pork in there, get yeah. your variety, but that's a pretty common thing. I think people will prioritize chicken way too much mm -hmm. and like the super nutrient dense stuff is the red meat not right. the, and you know, like it's expensive for sure. Like the red meat's more expensive than chicken, but you can like get ground beef and mm -hmm. stuff like quite affordable. Right. So it's not that you yeah. can only do chicken. Yeah. Get red medium when you can. Yeah. Chicken is especially, uh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts, 
pretty, it's a pretty much a nutrient desert. There's not a, I mean, it's protein, which is good, but there's yeah. not a lot else going for you with a plain chicken breast. Definitely red meat is where it's at for like, obviously the protein, but then like heme iron in, in the form it needs to be in to be bioavailable to you, like B12, which is non-existent in the plant kingdom. Um, carnitine, choline, creatine, like all these other nutrients and other like more rare amino acids that you need to like keep everything functioning. Carnitine, um, is involved in the process of burning fat. So fatty acid oxidation needs carnitine. Guess what? Carnitine is in red meat. Like literally the root word, the Latin word carn, like carne asada and carnitine, it comes from like red meat. That's what that means. Um, so it comes packaged with all the Nutrients. So then you have no need to supplement. You don't yeah. need to supplement creatine. You don't need to supplement L-carnitine when you just eat food. Yeah. <laughs> you just eat meat. <laughs> you just eat red meat. Whole eggs. Awesome. Yeah. An egg yolk is one of the most nutritious things on earth, second only to like liver. Right. Vitamin E. Um, choline, which is another super important um, nutrient that's much more recently just... Um, when did we even discover choline less than 20 years ago mm. and now understanding like how many different processes in the body it's involved in it's kind of rare. Um, choline is rare in the diet. So egg yolks is where it's at. Yeah. Um, your ability to handle carbohydrate declines as you get older. Yeah. And the more you've abused that system, the faster it declines. Yeah. So I remember when we first met, I was in my thirties and was it just 30? I was like, you were 28, 28. When we met. 30 oh, yeah. when we got married. Yeah. So this would have been in my twenties then. Oh man. That was a long time ago. So I remember being in my 20s and working out with you and trying to like gain size and being a real hard gainer. I always have been. And I remember just crushing like a whole big bowl of fruit and like I would mix oats and peanut butter and whatever in with my protein shakes and these like just massive amounts of carbs. And I struggled to gain weight. It was really hard to do. Mm -hmm. And now if I look at bread, I like <laughs> start to gain weight, right? Like it's, it's certainly not the good kind of weight. Either. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's definitely like a, a sliding scale and the older you get, the harder, like for me anyways, the harder it is for me to just like eat a little bit of carbs, you know, like I either want to eat all the carbs or just have none of the carbs. But I find if I eat all the carbs, I, I do slowly start to, you know, get a little thicker than I want to be. Mm -hmm. There's like the, the brain effects, right? It's sort of tickles the brain in just mm -hmm. the right way, especially the combination of carbs and fat together. Yeah. Um, that makes you want to overconsume. So yeah. it makes you want more. And then there's like the physiological effects of managing your blood glucose again. So right. um, we've talked about that several times. Those cell surface transporters, insulin activates these cell surface transporters that allow you to push sugar out of circulation and into the cells. That system, that like insulin regulatory system declines with age. So you get increasing insulin resistance. There's things you can do to to push that off. High intensity exercise is one of them. Um, sprinting and lifting heavy help keep your insulin sensitivity. Um, the chronic cardio decreases insulin sensitivity, not as good. Um, stress decreases insulin sensitivity, right. sleep deprivation. So again, keeping the balance of all the things in your life, but it just does decline your ability to handle carbohydrate yeah. declines as you age. What does not ever decline with age is your ability to metabolize um, certain fatty acids and then ketone bodies. Right. So the Interestingly enough, there's cell surface transporters for ketone bodies too, but there's no such thing as ketone resistance, which is interesting because there is such thing as insulin resistance. So people will say things like glucose is the preferred fuel of the human body. And the further into the nutrition science I get, I'm going, really? Because it seems like from almost every perspective, 
the body hates running on glucose and it actually makes things much worse. And it seems to try to avoid running on glucose at every opportunity and prefers to partition fatty acids from almost every perspective, unless we just like a drug addict dose ourselves with glucose every two hours, every minute we're awake. Um, Podcast for another day. (laughs) That's a rant. Um, But the fatty, the fatty acids that your mitochondria, your energy powerhouses do like to metabolize uh, very, the very stable saturated fats, right? So there's medium chain triglycerides. There's long chain ones. They burn very clean in your mitochondria. So less reactive oxygen species. Um, they generate more units of ATP than glucose does. So you get more fuel. So your cells are happy, makes you feel less hungry because there's plenty of cellular energy available. You're not in like a every two hours cellular energy crisis where the sugar is running low. Mm-hmm. Um, so the saturated fats are super good for energy, but also great for like the integrity of your skin, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you look at a lot of what's in skincare products, if you look at the ingredients, it'll be like stearic acid. Yep. That's a long chain saturated fat. <laughs> you can put it on the outside. You can also put it on the inside. <laughs> right. Uh, coconut oil, right. Is coconut oil is 90% saturated fat, mostly lauric acid, which is a sort of medium chain triglyceride. Um, yeah. Great on the inside, right? Lots of great benefits of eating coconut oil, but it's also in lots of skincare products because it's great for your skin. And that's animal fats again, right? Those are mostly saturated. The long chain saturated fats are mostly animal products or your tropical uh, fruit fats like palm oil and coconut oil are are super high in saturated fat. Those are both the only two plant ones, Um, coconut oil and palm oil. Other things like other fruit fats like olive oil, um, avocado, those ones are the mono and saturated fats also, also fine, also burn quite clean and stable. Um, but the saturated fats are particularly good for multiple reasons, cell membrane integrity. Um, I even saw a paper the other day that was higher saturated fat intake was associated with less metastases of cancer. So the saturated fats were able to keep cancer contained in its original, um, location. Mm-hmm. What makes cancer deadly is when it metastasizes, when it escapes its original location and goes all over the body. It's not necessarily tumor size that is indicative of mortality. You can actually have giant tumors, but if they're contained in one spot, they're actually not that deadly. Or you can have tiny tumors that are maybe even the original site is like undetectable, but if it escaped and it metastasizes to other places, then yeah. it's, it's into your blood or your bones or whatever. Yeah. Uh, when, once it goes to satellite locations, very difficult yeah. to treat or recover from. So I thought that was an interesting one. It was mm-hmm. a mechanistic paper, but showing that saturated fats were um, good for preventing cancer metastases. Yeah. Saturated fats do elevate LDL. Yeah. Uh, low density lipoprotein is the carrier, one of your carriers of cholesterol, which people used to call it. Some people, lots of people still do bad cholesterol. Um, LDL as a marker of cardiovascular risk as a cardiovascular risk factor is really falling out of favor. Yeah. Um, Isn't it? Like 50% of people that go into the hospital with heart attack issues Mm -hmm. or whatever have low LDL and the other half are high LDL. Yeah. So as a predictive value, very poor, because like you said, I think it's even, it's right around half. I can't remember if it's slightly below or slightly above half of people that present like to an emergency department with a heart attack have low LDL. Right. And, you know, for years it's been like, lower that LDL, push it down, take these statins, get it lower, lower, lower. Yeah. But as you age especially when you get into that late master's category, the higher your LDL, the longer you'll live. Right. So LDL is a very important part of your immune system, helps suppress bacterial infections. So older people will tend to die of like 
sepsis and pneumonia and, and like infection type stuff like that. Um, so the higher your LDL, the more robust your immune system stays and the better you're able to like suppress pathogens and bacterial infections. Um, LDL, higher LDL also associated with better cognitive performance for longer. Low LDL is associated with depression, anxiety, more suicidal ideation, more people with low LDL will commit suicide. Cholesterol is an important precursor to um, a bunch of your steroid hormones, yep. testosterone and all that kind of stuff. So you need more cholesterol to make testosterone, to recover and repair your muscles, all that kind of stuff. Um, people with low LDL uh, rates of suicide are higher and they'll tend to commit suicide via more violent methods. Um, and they also, <laughs> people that commit violent crime have lower LDL. Hmm. So there's something about sort of like a violent impulse control inhibition in the prefrontal cortex that's greatly affected when cholesterol is too low. Wow. Yeah. So lots of, lots of risk in having low yeah. <laughs> LDL. It's, uh, I, I'll be fair in saying it's controversial for sure. Currently, whether LDL is, um, protective or harmful from a cardiovascular risk perspective, atherosclerotic plaques and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think we're certainly in the middle of a shift of the consensus opinion. Because yeah, <laughs> it used to just be literature. there was HDL and LDL. HDL was good. LDL was bad. Now there's, they're learning there's all different types of LDL. Mm -hmm. And they have different particle sizes and different like quantities of each will yeah. dictate like more specific blood health markers. But yeah. It's funny, like we, we've been looking into trying to get some of these tests done and they're not even available in yeah. Saskatchewan. It's really unfortunate. Yeah, and they they actually used to be. So LDL, the low-density lipoprotein particle, packages, so your blood is water and you need to transport fatty acids around. Fat and water don't mix. So fatty acids have to be transported inside a, a, a carrier. So you have these low-density lipoprotein particles. They carry fatty acids, but also cholesterol around to places in your body that need it. The uh, phospholipid bilayer of that LDL particle, so like what it's made out of, the, the surface of it, also um, you need more of that when you're growing your muscles. So those phospholipids get broken down from the LDL particle and turned into your muscles and all of your tissues. If you're running a more fat-based metabolism and less sugar, you'll be transporting more fatty acids around. You're going to have more LDL floating around. So right. that's just a thing that happens if you exercise more and eat a higher fat diet, you're going to have higher cholesterol and you're going to have higher LDL cholesterol. Yeah. Probably what you would also have is high HDL cholesterol. So HDL tends to, this is very simplistic, but um, pick up the leftovers and bring it back to the liver to get recycled. So having high of both is a good thing. Having right. high LDL and low HDL is a bad thing. Right. What you don't want to have happen is your LDL particles to hang out in your bloodstream for a long time. Right. So they kind of should just like do their job, drop off their cargo head back to the liver and just continually get recycled. So you can have um, LDL particle size was one of the tests you're talking about in NMR profiles, the test you'd want. You can have these large fluffy LDLs that are, I think most people would agree are health protective. They're not harmful at all. But the longer they hang around, the more small and dense they become. And right. these small dense LDLs are considered to be more damaging to the endothelium, the liner of your cardiovascular system. And then if they get oxidized, so if they're carrying more polyunsaturated fats that are prone to oxidation, they get oxidized. Think of oxidation as like rust. Yeah. That's what oxid, you know, that's an oxidative reaction is rusting. The more oxidized LDL, so ox LDL is the test you'd want. Um, definitely the more damaging that can become. So if you have a high LDL cholesterol number, 
but you have a lower number of particles, you can triangulate that to go like, okay, those are large fluffy LDLs. Right. And if you have high LDL and a high particle count, you go, eh, that's not as good. Right. If you can get your hands on an oxidize, an ox LDL test and you have a lot of oxidized LDL particles in your body, eh, that's not so good. Right. If you have high LDL, low HDL, eh, that's not so good. If you have high LDL, high HDL and low triglycerides, that's the sweet spot. That's right. the sweet, they call it the athlete triad. Right. So there's a bunch of research and two like big papers just came out of uh, David Ludwig's group at Harvard looking at, they call it a lean mass hyper responder. So people that are lean, not carrying a lot of body fat, generally on lower carb, high fat diets and doing a lot of exercise will have this profile, high LDL, high HDL, low triglyceride, and also generally other things, low um, fasting glucose, low fasting insulin, low HSCRP, which is a measure of inflammation. And they seem to suffer no negative cardiovascular outcomes right. from that. So they're trying to show that like, okay, so there's one type of very metabolically unhealthy type of person, you know, high glucose, high insulin, high inflammation, high LDL, all these things are whack. <laughs> that's a risk. That's a risky situation versus there's this other little sliver of weirdos over here, mm -hmm. like you and me and some other people that we know um, that may have high LDL, but all these other markers, the picture is different. Right. So there's more to it than just good versus bad. Yeah. It's way too good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. Yeah. No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way anymore. Way more complicated. I believe, what's the number? The average period of time from when something is well-established in the scientific literature to when it gets translated into standard patient care is 17 years. Yeah. So I feel like we're in the middle of that right now where we're leaving behind the diet, heart, you know, fat causes heart disease, con stuff, yeah. old conventional wisdom that came out of the 50s. And the scientific literature is there. And now it's a matter of translating that down to like, every institution and then every doctor and then every patient and then every like talk show, yeah. <laughs> you know, where people are getting their every Buzzfeed article or whatever it is where people get their um, basic understanding of nutrition and what's good and what's bad. Yep. It'll take a while. Yeah. Yeah. So self experiment for now. Yeah. Right? Like that's always the best thing for sure. Find what makes you feel the best. Yeah. And like get your blood work done. Like our doctor's awesome. Whenever we want our, our blood work done, she's like, yeah, cool. You know, yeah. like she signs the scripts and, yeah. She'll do it for us. So I go in there with my list of like, hey, can you add this test and this <laughs> test and this test? And she was like, some of them are like, she's like, I've never even ordered that before. She's like, what are you, <laughs> you know, she just now is like, fine, whatever. Like she just yeah. signs the thing. She doesn't care. She's like, she trusts me. I guess. Yeah. Our doctor's awesome. And if her. your doctor won't, if they think it's a waste of time or whatever, you can order that stuff online too. Some of them, yeah. Some clinics. Yeah. So what David was mentioning was you can get um, your regular you'll get an LDLC, LDL cholesterol number, total amount of cholesterol in circulation, LDL particles. What you can't get here are any of the other ones, the NMR yeah. profile, the ox LDL, none of that stuff's available here. We've looked into it. You can get it from private labs in the US. You yeah. pay for it. There are labs in Alberta and BC that will do it as well. Yeah. I don't know why. For some reason here, it's just not even available. So that sucks a bit. Apparently we live middle of the wild west yeah <laughs> over here we don't have options but nobody cares they're just whatever yeah but i mean the big thing is insulin resistance yeah that's the major risk factor that we're trying to avoid as we age i saw an interesting thing the other day the challenge is think of any chronic disease pick a disease type in that disease and insulin resistance to google and the challenge is to find any chronic disease that has not been linked to insulin resistance mm. 
one that has no published papers linking those two things together. And so far, I haven't met anyone that's won that game. Wow. <laughs> Think of a disease, it's linked to insulin resistance. Yeah. So that would be the major thing we're trying to avoid. Get your, get your blood sugar and insulin under control. Yeah, big time. Okay, so should we do a little recap? Let's recap. Masters. Masters athletes. <laughs> Unfortunately, 35 and up. 35 and up. <laughs> you old fart. <laughs> Um, what we're talking about is normie people that want yeah. to live a good life. So for normal people, you know, prioritize, you know, making good choices when you're doing your training. Mm-hmm. Right? Train smart. Train smart. Don't hurt yourself because it might be a permanent thing. The risk is higher. Yeah. Pick and choose your battles, right? Mm-hmm. Is the risk of a handstand pushup worth it? Or is it just because your ego wants to be able to go upside down, mm-hmm. show off at parties? And like, okay, so aside, I realize we're recapping, but... <laughs> <laughs> tangent one of the things we didn't really say was like i don't mean to discourage people from wanting to do higher skill movements yeah but when we say train smarter you're gonna have to come to that with a lot more patience right you can do those things you can work towards a muscle up but you're gonna have to acknowledge that that process is going to take much more time if you want to do it well and not take and not have high risk you have to build the base of your strength your flexibility your technique you're gonna have to put in way more time yeah and be okay with that. You don't just try it until it finally happens. You just, you put in the weight, the work. Yeah. You can't skip any steps. Yep. I believe we've talked about that before. I call that the snakes and ladders of fitness. Right. If you try to skip steps, building block steps, you eventually just hit the snake and you go back down. Now you're just injured. You can't do anything. Yep. Okay. So make good choices. Train smart. Yep. Um, if you have limited time or ability to like really try hard, the main priority should be get some strength training in, mm-hmm. right? Push some heavy stuff around. Yep. Um, sprints are great. Lots of daily movement. Lots of daily movement. Uh, like low intensity, like walking and moving around is great. Mm-hmm. Long, slow distance training. Not is great. Fucking worst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yours was more aggressive. Than mine. <laughs> um, focus on recovery. Yeah. Value your recovery. Acknowledge that that's where you're going to get the benefit of your training, sleep, nutrition, and then to a lesser extent, sauna, massage, all of your self-care stuff. Yep. Um, and then good nutrition. And then, yeah, make some dietary changes, prioritize protein, cool it with the carbs and then good quality fats. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Age well, guys. See you. It's been a pleasure growing (laughs) old with you all. (laughs) Thanks guys.